What's the best thing you could do on June 7th? Well, of course, listen to the June 7th reading of the One Year Bible on your favorite podcast, the Reading Through the Bible Together podcast. Yes, that is what you should do. Even if it's not June 7th, maybe you're catching up or you want to go in order and so you started on January 1st and you're trying to catch up to whatever date it is. I am so thankful you are here with me on this June 7th reading. And as always, we're going to be reading out of the New Living Translation, and we're going to jump right in with our Old Testament reading today, 1 Kings 2, 1 through chapter 3, verse 2. And we just last, yesterday heard about how Solomon uh, succeeded David, became the king after him, uh, almost missed out on his chance to do that because one of David's other sons was being a little bit of a brat and tried to take over the throne. And Bathsheba was like, no, you said my son would be king, so he's going to be king. And uh, mama gets what mama wants, and Solomon is king. So that's where we pick up the story, chapter 2, verse 1. As the time of King David's death approached, he gave this charge to his son Solomon. I am going where everyone on earth must go someday. That is death, he's speaking of. Take courage and be a man. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all his ways. Keep the decrees, commands, regulations, and laws written in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all you do and wherever you go. If you do this, then the Lord will keep the promise he made to me. He told me, if your descendants live as they should and follow me faithfully with all their heart and soul, one of them will always sit on the throne of Israel. And there's something else. You know what Joab, son of Zeriah, did to me when he murdered my two army commanders, Abner, son of Ner, and Amasa, son of Jether. He pretended that it was an act of war, but it was done in a time of peace, staining his belt and sandals with innocent blood. Do with him what you think is best, but don't let him grow old and go to his grave in peace. Be kind to the sons of Berzelzi of Gilead. Make them permanent guests at your table, for they took care of me when I fled from your brother Absalom. And remember Shemaiah, son of Gira, the man of Biram and Benjamin. He cursed me with a terrible curse as I was fleeing to Menahem. When he came down to meet me at the Jordan River, I swore by the Lord I would not kill him. But that oath does not make him innocent. You are a wise man, and you will know how to arrange a bloody death for him. Jeez. <laughs> David is not in a good place at the end of his life here. Right? Like, he's like I, I, he's, he's kind of grown bitter. It's, it's, this is really sad. I shouldn't laugh. Uh, but you can kind of see where, where David is. Um, he's wanting to get people back. And um, I think it's important that I point that out because a lot of people think that, you know, this is talking about God um, being violent. And uh, we got to remember most of the Old Testament is, pre- is description, not prescription, meaning it's describing what happened as it happened, not necessarily saying this is the right or wrong thing. It's not giving a moral judgment. Um, it just kind of leaves it as it is. So, verse 10. Then David died and was buried with his ancestors in the city of David. David had reigned over Israel for 40 years, seven of them in Hebron and 33 in Jerusalem. Solomon became king and sat on the throne of David his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. One day, Anadijah, whose mother was Haggith, came to see Bathsheba, Solomon's mother. Have you come with peaceful intentions? She asked him. Yes, he said, I have come in peace. In fact, I have a favor to ask of you. What is it? she asked. He replied, As you know, the kingdom was rightfully mine. All Israel wanted me to be the next king. But the tables were turned, and the kingdom went to my brother instead, for that is the way the Lord wanted it. 
So now I have just one favor to ask of you. Please don't turn me down. What is it? She asked. He replied, speak to King Solomon on my behalf, for I know he will do anything you request. Ask him to let me marry Abishai, the girl from Shunem. All right, Bathsheba replied. I will speak to the king for you. So Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak on Anadijah's behalf. The king rose from his throne to meet her, and he bowed down before her. When he sat down on his throne again, the king ordered that a throne be brought for his mother, and she sat at his right hand. Oh, that's pretty sweet. Verse 20. I have one small request to make of you, she said. I hope you won't turn me down. What is it, my mother? He asked. You know I won't refuse you. Then let your brother Anadijah marry Abishag, the girl from Shuman, she replied. How can you possibly ask me to give Abishab to Anadijah, King Solomon demanded. You might as well ask me to give him the kingdom. You know that he is my older brother, and that he has Abishar the priest and Joab son of Zeriah on his side. Then King Solomon made a vow before the Lord. May God strike and even kill me if Anadijah has not sealed his fate with this request. The Lord has confirmed me and placed me on the throne of my father David. He has established my dynasty as he has promised. So as surely as the Lord lives, Anadijah will die this very day. So King Solomon ordered Benaiah, son of Jehodiah, to execute him, and Anadijah was put to death. Then the king said to Abiathar the priest, Go back to your home, and Anath, you deserve to die, but I will not kill you now, because you carried the ark of the sovereign lord for David my father, and you shared all his hardships. So Solomon deposed Abiathar from his position as priest of the Lord, thereby fulfilling the prophecy the Lord had given at Shiloh concerning the descendants of Eli. Joab had not joined Absalom's earlier rebellion, but he had joined Anadijah's rebellion. So when Joab heard about Anadijah's death, he ran to the sacred tent of the Lord and grabbed onto the horns of the altar. When this was reported to King Solomon, he sent Benaiah, son of Jehodiah, to execute him. Benaiah went to the sacred tent of the Lord and said to Joab, the king orders you to come out. But Joab answered, no, I will die here. So Benaiah returned to the king and told him what Joab had said. Do as he said, the king replied, kill him there beside the altar and bury him. This will remove the guilt of Joab's senseless murders from me and from my father's family. The Lord will repay him for the murders of two men who were more righteous and better than he. For my father knew nothing about the deaths of Abner, son of Ner, commander of the army of Israel, and Amasa, son of Jether, commander of the army of Judah. May their blood be on Joab and his descendants forever. May the Lord grant peace forever to David, his descendants, his dynasty, and his throne. I want to pause there because that's very interesting. We see kind of a the end of a storyline there with Joab, who we saw a lot of in Second Samuel, and he did a lot of just mean things. Like he was commanded not to kill Absalom, uh, the king's son, and what did he do? He killed Absalom. He uh, kind of just did what he wanted. Absalom lit his field on fire, and from that point forward, Joab was just a, a mad man. I mean, he just killed people. He kind of said to King David whatever he wanted to say, and there's a lot that went on, lies, secrecy, that David never knew about. Um, and yet what we see here is that God always knows, and God always finds out. There's nothing that can be hidden from God. And eventually you will get the judgment that you deserve to get. You will get the just punishment, the just consequence for what you have done. You may escape from it your entire life, but one day you will stand before the almighty, holy God of this universe, and he will take care of all that you have done that is wrong. In fact, Hebrews in the New Testament says, what a terrible thing it is to fall into the hands of a living God. That should alone scare us. Now, I'm not here to scare you, because the good news is, is if you trust in Jesus, he has taken on the burden of your sin for you. 
on the, the cross of Christ, when he dies, when he pours out his blood, he said, it is finished, meaning all the sin was paid for, completely purified if you trust in him. And he rose again. And uh, in, this, in this rising again, there's a new creation bursting forth, an exclamation point that he is who he says he is. And he promises you can be involved in that new creation too. You don't have to just be a better person. You can be a new person. And he sends the Holy Spirit to help you with that. So trust in him today. And you can begin to make the right decisions, begin to right the wrongs in your life, not because you have to or because you're worried about standing before God. No, God's going to take care of that for you, but because you want to. You don't want to be like Joab. You don't want to be at the end of your life holding on, uh, trying to save your life because of the mistakes you've made in the past. Now, obviously, you're probably not going to be murdered by the king, but we all know people who they did wrong, did wrong, did wrong, and it finally caught up to them. Well, don't be one of those people. And I know we think our wrongs are not as bad as other people's wrongs, but wrong is wrong. Let us be a people who give our burdens over to God and then work towards um, getting rid of all secrecy in our life and uh, becoming the type of person, becoming the type of person that God wants us to be. And that type of person is a person who lives like Jesus, living for the good of others and the glory of God. Verse 34. So Benaiah, son of Jehodiah, returned to the sacred tent and killed Joab, and he was buried at his home in the wilderness. Then the king appointed Benaiah, the commander of the army, in place of Joab, and he installed Zadok, the priest, to take the place of Abiathar. Verse 36. The king then sent for Shemaiah and told him, Build a house here in Jerusalem and live there, but don't step outside the city to go anywhere else. On the day you so much as cross the Kidron Valley, you will surely die, and your blood will be on your own head. Shemaiah replied, Your sentence is fair, I will do whatever my lord the king commands. So Shemaiah lived in Jerusalem for a long time. But three years later, two of Shemaiah's slaves ran away to King Achish of Makkah of Goth. When Shemaiah learned where they were, he saddled his donkey and went to Gath to search for them. When he found them, he brought them back to Jerusalem. Solomon heard that Shemaiah had left Jerusalem and had gone to Gath and returned. So the king sent for Shemaiah and demanded, Didn't I make you swear by the Lord and warn you to not go anywhere else or you would surely die? And you replied, The sentence is fair, and I will do as you say. Then why haven't you kept your oath to the Lord and obeyed my command? The king also said to Shemaiah, You certainly remember all the wicked things you did to my father David. May the Lord not bring that evil on your own head. But may I, King Solomon, receive the blessings of the Lord. And may one of David's descendants always sit on his throne in the presence of the Lord. Then, at the king's command, Beniah, son of Jehodiah, took Shemaiah outside and killed him. So the kingdom was now firmly in Solomon's grip. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and married one of his daughters. He brought her to live in the city of David until he could finish building his palace and temple of the Lord and the wall around the city. At that time, the people of Israel sacrificed their offerings at local places of worship for a temple honoring the name of the Lord that had not yet been built. And that concludes our Old Testament reading. See Solomon getting his affairs in order and um, bringing judgment. That's what kings do. And uh, people who thought they had got away with stuff did not get away with stuff uh, anymore. And now we see David's dynasty is over. And now we move on to Solomon. And we'll get to read a lot more about that. And by the way, we read Solomon um, often because he wrote a lot of the Proverbs that we read. He was known as the wisest man of his time. And in fact, the Bible calls him the wisest man to live. Yeah, very interesting. So moving on. Acts chapter 5 is going to be our New Testament reading. 
and we'll start in verse 1. But there was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife, and by the way, we're going to um, give you a little update of what's going on here. Uh, Acts 4, we saw that everything was going good in the early church. They were selling stuff um, and caring for one another. Just this beautiful picture. And we're going to see our first little kind of crack or uh, sin in, in the early church here. Uh, but there was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife Sapphire, sold some property. He brought the part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell, as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, How could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Instantly she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who had heard what had happened. The apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple, in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. But no one else dared to join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats, so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. The high priest and his officials, who were Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night and opened the gates of the jail and brought them out. Then he told them, Go to the temple and give the people this message of life. So at daybreak the apostles entered the temple, as they were told, and immediately began teaching. When the high priest and his officials arrived, they convened the high council, the full assembly of the elders of Israel. Then they sent for the apostles to be brought from the jail for trial. But when the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone. So they returned to the council and reported. The jail was securely locked with the guards standing outside, but when we opened the gates, no one was there. Well, does that sound familiar to you guys? Um, yeah, uh, the, the tomb guarded by Jesus. It was uh, securely guarded. And yet when they looked, guess what? No one was there. Yeah, kind of a little little flashback, little play on words there. That's beautiful, verse 23. Verse 24. When the captain of the temple guard and the leading priest heard this, they were perplexed, wondering where it would all end. Then someone arrived with startling news. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple, teaching the people. The captain went with his temple guards and arrested the apostles, but without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them. Then they brought the apostles before the high council, where the high priest confronted them. We gave you strict orders, never again to teach in this man's name, he said. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, 
and you want to make us responsible for his death. But Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, who is given by God to those who obey him. When they heard this, the high council was furious and decided to kill them. But one member, of a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert in religious law and respected by all the people, stood up and ordered that the men should be sent outside the council chamber for a while. Then he said to his colleagues, Men of Israel, take care what you are planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was that fellow Thidius, who pretended to be someone great. About 400 others joined him, but he was killed, and all his followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. After him, at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. He got people to follow him, but he was killed too, and all his followers were scattered. So my advice is, is leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. The others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged, and then they ordered them never to speak again in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. The apostles left the high council, rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer the disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple, and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. There is a lot going on in that text that we could talk about, but we're already pretty far into the reading. So we're going to go on. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it though, because that is very rich. Our proverb for today is Proverbs 16, verse 25. There is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. And finally, we will be reading Psalm 125 in a posture of prayer. The 125th Psalm, a song for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem. Verse 1. Those who trust in the Lord are as secure as Mount Zion. They will not be defeated, but will endure forever. Just as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forever. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us. Thank you, Lord, that we have the promise that your kingdom will endure forever. And in times where things around us are crumbling, whether individually or in the world around us, it can can seem uncertain, but... As Christ followers, we know that Jesus is the true king and that while it looks like the kingdoms of this world may be collapsing, your kingdom will endure forever. And what great joy we have knowing we are citizens of this kingdom and not only citizens of this everlasting kingdom, but we're children of the Most High King because Jesus poured out his blood and adopted us into the family. Thank you, Lord, for this confidence we have. Verse 3, The wicked will not rule the land of the godly, for then the godly might be tempted to do wrong. Lord, we thank you, and we cannot await for the day in which there is no evil, that the day in which you promise when Jesus returns, not as a suffering servant, but as a glorious king, who will destroy all evil. There will be no desire for evil in our hearts, and because there is no evil, there will be no sin, and without sin, there will be no death, and without death, there will be no sadness or sickness. Lord, we cannot wait for that day. Verse 4. O Lord, do good to those who are good, whose hearts are in tune with you. Lord, we know that we cannot be good on our own, but with the Holy Spirit within us, because of what Jesus has done, you can tune our hearts. You can help us listen in to what you are doing. Help us be ever-present 
of your presence around us and help us get in line with what you want us to do so that we might be good, not because we have to, but because we want to, because it leads to life for us and for those around us. Verse 5, But banish those who turn to crooked ways, O Lord. Take them away with those who do evil. May Israel have peace. Yes, Lord, thank you um, that you've made a way for those who have crooked ways to have straight path through Jesus. Lord, and I pray for those walking on crooked paths today, Lord, that they would turn to you, they would trust you, they would see for who you are. Lord, that we might have peace, peace among your people. It is in your name I pray, amen. Well, thank you for joining me for the reading today. And uh, we'll be back here tomorrow doing the same thing. And I would love for you to come back and listen again. Let me know what your thoughts are on today's reading or any of the readings, because that's the point of this podcast. We're reading the Bible in community. And tomorrow is going to be another day of doing the same thing. And that is reading through the Bible together.